welcome to episode 19 of You Are Not A Frog, Burgers, Busyness and Business. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boils alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. So welcome to episode 19. Before we go any further, I'd just like to give a big shout out to all the GPs, practice managers and nurses that I met at the kickoff event for my Shapes Toolkit courses for one of the London training hubs. We uh, did a session on how to beat burnout and it was really great to meet everybody there. So just to let you know, I've started a Facebook group called The Shapes Collective and in it I post lots of interesting articles that, well, that I find interesting that I've read that I think you guys might enjoy. It'd be great if as many of you as possible could sign up to that so we can get some interesting discussions and debate going on. And just a big shout out to all the members of The Shapes Collective who are listening to this podcast. So I'm really excited about this episode. Tara Humphrey is a powerhouse. Not only does she run her own thriving business, helping GP training hubs and CCGs and PCNs, but she's also an ultra marathon runner and manages a family. I don't know how she does it. So I thought it would be interesting for all my listeners to hear from her about her top tips, about productivity, about how she creates really great processes and about how she really um, advocates getting the help that you need. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So it's really great to have with me on the podcast, Tara Humphrey. Tara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really, I'm really excited. I really wanted to have a chat with you because I think you've got a lot of really helpful tips and advice for our listeners. So first of all, Tara, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do? So I am the founder and CEO at a company called THC Primary Care. And we work with GP federations, primary care networks, Health Education England, NHS England, GP federations, helping them implement their projects, their work streams, their networks, saving them time, stress and money. And I'm also the host of the Business of Healthcare podcast. Brilliant. And what is it you actually do on a day-to-day level so what what would a typical day in your life look like so i'm currently supporting a primary care network so we're looking at their existing supplementary network services looking through the specifications looking at the criteria and making sure they're aware of their key deadlines and the evidence for submission 
thinking about communication and marketing and raising the awareness of their primary care network amongst their practices. I also facilitate with NHS England. So again, talking to primary care network clinical directors, asking them around their stresses, their challenges, what are their goals, what do they want to achieve, and then working closely with them to create a session to help boost that engagement and then the bread and butter of our business, I employ five other people. We manage the day-to-day operations of a training hub. So we're commissioning CPD, we're managing emails, we're attending practice managers forums, we're doing training needs analysis, we are writing proposals. We, I think some of our budgets were over a million pounds, so we're carefully making sure we're tracking the income and expenditure. We're looking at ways to save money. We work very closely with STP. So if we can do it in one area, rather than three training hubs all commission the same training, we're working with our STP to save them money and create some consistency. Wow, that's an awful lot of things. I can imagine if I was a director of a PCN or you know a clinical lead in a training hub, you'd be like gold dust. It would be brilliant. <laughs> It'd be like, wow, she's just going to sort out all that stuff. That's I don't quite end. know how to do that's the aim yeah and when people typically when people find us they're not quite sure what they want but they just want some help they want an extra pair of hands and it grows but typically we work with people they know what they they know what they want to happen they don't know how to make it happen and more importantly they don't have the time and what's really nice about my team is that there's a few it's not just me We've got marketing support, we've got an operations manager, we've got admin support, and we try to use IT to help us with that productivity. So we're a small team, but we're all about systems and processes and efficiency. I think, you know, when I think about GPs, we're trained clinically, aren't we? So we know how to manage patients. We're not trained, A, how to manage a business. We're not trained up in marketing, and we're not really trained up in processes and and all those things that you need to communicate with you know people across organizations and things like that and I'm presuming that that's the sort of thing that you guys that's that's your bread and butter that's your really sweet spot is doing all those things that the GPs just it's not that they can't do them it's just don't know how to do them yes I'd say some GPs and some CDs are fantastic all of our clients have got more than one job so they're mm-hmm. usually like the movers and shakers, they're the leaders, and they put their hands up and say, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, they've got so many projects on their plate. They need somebody, it's quite nice to have a bit of an objective view, to think about what is it that you really want to do? Why are you going to that meeting? Could You, you can go to the first meeting, I can go to the second. Mm-hmm. What are the actions? You can only go to a meeting. And on every meeting, it's like the same actions, nothing has moved. Yes, yep. Been and there. it's like... Do, you, do those actions even matter? If not, we'll just scrap them. Or let's, I'm the sort of person and I can be quite direct where it's like, who, what, why, where, how, how much, who is going to do it, when they're going to do it, when do you want it done, why are we doing it? So that's, that's the support that I provide. And I'm just gently just pushing them forwards. So sorry, you work with people on a sort of macro level with PCNs and with training hubs across STPs and things like that. But I know you also have your podcast, which is the business of healthcare. And there are lots of GPs that are went into medicine to see patients, but end up running quite a large business. And I can imagine this is true for lawyers and accountants and other professionals as well. What sorts of things 
would you want to include in the training before they even get to be running these businesses? What's the main things that seem to be lacking for people in terms of business knowledge, business skills? In some respects, I would say financial management. I've worked with practices where I will say, you've got this contract. Is the contract financially viable? Should we be doing this? And they'll say, oh, I don't know. And they'll start the contract and then they will work out, actually, this is not viable. And then they start to resent it and it all starts to go a bit downhill. So I think the financial management skills at the beginning of the contract, when it comes in to really assess do we want to do this? Why do we want to do it? Who is the best person to lead on this? What skill mix should we use? And I think really thinking about the business, and I do it in my business, it's who is best placed to do X, Y, and Z. I think in general practice, you've got these new roles. I'd be thinking, okay, how can we deliver the same output with less of my involvement because I'm the GP partner, I'm the CEO, and my expertise is to provide that clinical overview and to drive this, this business and this service forward rather than me try to be in the nitty gritty and the detail of everything. So I think it's the ability to step back and I suppose it's strategic planning, looking at the finance. I speak with a lot of practice and just general colleagues around when I say to people, we have we had a team meeting yesterday and we'd like doing team building exercises. We are reinforcing the values. We've got a new member in our team. And when I ask people, do, do you do X? Do you do that? And they'll say no. And I think I come across so many people that don't have a really clear understanding of their roles and responsibility and the kind of lines of, you know, the chains of command. And that affects the efficiency of your business when one minute somebody thinks they're doing X and then someone's asked them to do Y. And I know it's naturally busy and we have to be flexible when there's lots of things flying at us, but I'm not sure that at the beginning of each kind of quarter, each month, each day, we're thinking these are the big strategic priorities this is, these are the day-to-day -day operations and are being really clear on what people need to do and what people are best placed to do. And I think when you get that, when you get that clarity, it does make life a lot easier. And I just want to think of all of the functions you've got, HR, you've got finance, you've got your day-to-day -day operations, you might have premises, you have got your kind of bread and butter contracts, you might have extended services and enhanced services. It's really sitting down on a regular basis and planning and thinking, what have we got to do? And why is it serving our bigger purpose? What do we really want to do for our patients? And I think it is time consuming, but I would say to people, invest that time now. So you save time later and it just gives you clarity definitely one it just reduces stress when i can come into the office and everybody's clear on what they're doing it's like a massive weight off the shoulders and it's also to use gp partners and gp managers and business managers are using other people within the team i see people that you know we're all one person there's only so much somebody can do. So I think it's really utilising the skills of other people and letting go and delegating. But when delegating, being really clear in what you're asking that person to do, so then they can just go off and do it. I think GPs tend to have two problems. Either they take everything on themselves and yeah. think, well, because I've been asked to do it, I've got to do everything. And then they spend hours and hours on stuff that they don't know how to do. They've got to find out how to do it. And then, then they do it. Or the other way, and I've certainly been in some practices where some GPs just go, it's not anything to do with me. You know, let's just leave all the running of the practice to the poor old practice manager. 
but of course they're the business owners and the practice manager can't get any decisions from them and then they say but but we spend a long time in meetings but in meetings what they're doing is looking at the minutiae of stuff and not concentrating on any of the strategy is that your experience too definitely and I think yeah they definitely fall into those two categories and it's just finding a medium I think the GP partner is, is accountable for the running of the business and making sure it's financially viable and then use your practice manager your operations manager to, to operationally run it the GP shouldn't do it by themselves and the practice manager shouldn't do it by themselves it is a team you guys need to be very close and I think when I've worked and when I worked in GP Federation what was really nice is that there, there was there was three of us there was me on projects. We both know Ben Gallen setting the strategic direction. And then there was a meter with the kind of day-to-day -day operations. And then there was obviously the wider strategic board. And we were in communication constantly. It's not just one person's job to deliver all this stuff. So if there was a practice and you had a sort of, I guess the GPs look on themselves as, as the board, if they're the partners, you have one sort of CEO type and then use your practice manager to operationalize your ideas and what, what you need to get done. And then the practice manager can delegate to other people as well. Yeah. Of course, they don't need to do any, everything too. Yeah, definitely. It is a team approach, but you have to keep talking and build those systems and processes. So things are come just, and in the practice, I mean, you guys do it. I'm not doing anybody a disservice. You do it there. I think, you know, it does run, but I think it's about stepping back and thinking what could be better do we have somebody in this team? Do we have a superstar administrator that could do more? It would make that person happy and it would also serve the business objectives because we're making, it's a bit cliche, but it's like aces in their places. And it's using your people, using your technology and investing in the technology. Um, and I see so many practices where it's like you're really struggling on outdated technology because they don't want to spend a thousand pounds and upgrade their computer system. It's like, why would you not want to do that? That £1,000 will save you thousands and thousands of pounds moving forward in time. It's interesting. I heard of a, a large set of conglomerate of practices who've employed a, a business manager from, from outside, from yeah. the external world. And he's come in, walked around a lot of the practices and said, there's so much inefficiency here with everyone doing a little bit of everything rather than people being properly skilled to do their one job and do it really, really well. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think sometimes, you know, like you don't know what you don't know. And I think I'm in a really lovely position. I've got private sector experience and I've worked in the insurance market, I even worked at McDonald's. And I learned so much around building systems and processes and standardization there. And I've got the luxury of seeing how many we've supported over 400 practices. Lots of practices do it. Everyone does it slightly differently. And you can, you know, you can learn. And sometimes when I go to practice managers meetings and I say, you know, like they're there and they talk but they don't really share what they're doing around what is working so it's one of the reasons why I set up the podcast because it's a bit like what what do you do Rachel and then it may, it may be really good and other people can start to yeah. implement it yeah absolutely and that that McDonald's franchise model I think that there's a book about it isn't there it's called the e-myth the e-myth e yeah. it's a brilliant book if anyone is interested in setting up businesses and things read the e-myth or the new one is the e-myth revisited yeah. and it's all about how McDonald's is almost the perfect business model because mm -hmm. they have got all their processes down to a T so I could open up a McDonald's tomorrow if I had a suitable venue and it would run successfully because 
everything is mapped down even you know the exact amount of time you put the burger on the grill yeah. for and and actually where you stand and they even mapped out the the kitchen and and just mm. to make it efficient so and I think practices may think well you know that's burgers and we've got patients but and you guys might have heard of productive general practice and the time for care team where some things can be standardized many things can be standardized and still have that human touch it's not you know not all machines but it is about how can we deliver the you know the best most efficiently so people can step in and step out so the job is not built around me then if I'm not there I'm stressed because I'm at home and the team is stressed because I'm not there so it's giving people ownership and responsibility but making sure that the business can run and the business is sustainable and it's not just reliant on just a few people and your experience of being in that sort of time for care team and and going into practices what's the one or two things that you think across the board should be standardized that would really really save gps time and stress it may be controversial, but I see workflow, kind of what we would call workflow optimization, working really well. And that is training staff up to support the processing and reading of clinical correspondence. Yeah. That does save GPs time and money and stress. Um, there is trust and there is training, but I def I haven't heard any horror I definitely haven't heard any horror stories. It is a bit time consuming at the beginning, but I think if GPs want to save time and think is it in everybody's interest for me to be reviewing all these letters when somebody else could do it and probably do a better job and spot things that they might not do because they're working late into the night? So I think workflow optimization, I'm seeing I'm working really, really well. And from a practice manager's point of view, it sounds really basic, but just how people organize their offices and how you manage your emails, there's a lot of wastage in that. And having a, re- you know, like it's New Year really having it all tidy up an organization of their office and looking at how they communicate and there's also something it's not a process keep talking to people about protecting their time and guarding their time and really saying okay when i'm doing the x y and z or when i'm doing this you know two sessions when i'm working on this project you need to really guard and protect your time so you can go off and do it rather than have this open door policy where you're constantly being interrupted and i think so many of us have these extra jobs and you, know, you you have a session doing this and a session doing that and soon actually you're employed for too many sessions for actually days in the week and you end up trying to do stuff in the lunch hour or two different things at once and that is a really really inefficient ineffective way of working yeah and i i understand it because you guys want to do everything sometimes i think and that's where and you can't volunteer people for roles but i think when I work with a client, it works best when I've got a clinical lead, I'm there as a project manager or the network manager and admin support. So every time a clinical lead takes on a responsibility is to think, depending on the type of project, who can support me with this rather than taking it on all by yourself. When I see GP leads organizing meetings and reading papers, I think that's not your, you can review them I'll write the report. You need to go to the meeting. I will organise it for you. You need to understand the submission dates. I'll provide that information so you're not hunting round. I will standardise the documents for you. So next time you have to do something, you know what to fill in and it's not coming back to you because you haven't met all the criteria. So I just think it's, it's, to me, it may sound really boring to other people, but it's just like project planning. It's just being organised. It's just being trying to think about 
how can I give the GP clinical lead or just the lead? They don't always have to be clinical. How can I make your life easier? And you as the lead should be thinking, I want to do this role and I can really do this role, but actually I don't want to be organizing meetings. I don't want to be hunting around for documentation. I don't want my staff to be following a process which hasn't been carefully mapped out. So it's thinking of that when you start off, actually in this role that I'm going to do, where do I add the highest value yeah. as a GP or as a lawyer or as an accountant, you know, where, what is it that this role needs my skills for? And actually, yeah, for organizing meetings or, or some of the other yeah. stuff that might go with it, that's much better done by someone with the admin skills and the time yeah. to be able to do it. The admin skills and the management skills. And there are people out there that love doing that stuff. And I think I'm working with somebody now where I said to them, how do you best want to be communicated? I don't want to keep sending you emails. So I will just, just, I said to her, if you've got any thoughts, if you want to share anything with me, we've got a submission to write up. I was just like, just send me some WhatsApp voice notes. I don't want you spending ages, you know, trying to send me this email when you could send me a message via WhatsApp that would take you less than a minute or it could take potentially that task would have taken you an hour to Mm -hmm. write that up. So it's just whoever you're working with is to really sit down and think how I'm most productive when I like to be communicated using X, Y, and Z. Don't contact me on a Friday because on Fridays I do X, Y, and Z. And it's like building those habits and sticking to those habits and boundaries, being really clear. People will respect it. You'll still get the work done. You'll get more work done and you'll feel better about it. I think productivity isn't always about trying to get you to do more. I want my team to feel good about the work that they've done and they haven't, you know, stressed themselves out trying to tick everything off the list. Yeah. And, you know, what extra help is available to GPs because I know I've recently got a VA a virtual assistant yeah. who you know I've never met her in person or I've spoken a lot on the phone and she's absolutely brilliant and she you know helps a lot with my business have you ever seen GPs you know using VA or all these sort of online services or anything like that or not yet no I haven't and I sometimes think when I speak to people I think have you got a personal assistant I've got a personal assistant and I used to feel like really like embarrassed like who do I think I am having a personal assistant I could not run this business without that role Mm -hmm. I think having a personal assistant and their job is to manage me to make sure I'm in the right place at the right time that I've got the meeting papers I'm very clear on what we're doing at the end of the meeting she'll call me up and say what was the outcome of that meeting what are the actions and that person is there supporting me all of the team support me so I definitely think having some type of administrative support to look at all the meetings to look at the rhythm of your meetings so at the end of the month you know like you know that you're busy actually somebody there what we do in our team is I look at my upcoming 90 days and how many days have I actually got free which meetings am I going to which meetings should I not go to I sometimes I just need some white space to think about things and that sounds like a luxury and I bet people thinking you can't do that but it works for me I'm most creative and get most of my ideas when I'm actually not working but I also got a family so I need some time in my work schedule just for white space and that's where I'm writing my blogs and doing the podcasts and things like that so I would say to a clinical lead you know it's your business it's your time and I come across people and I say you've put everything on your plate and you've piled it up it's up to you to you might have to take something off your plate if you really can't deliver it in the way that you would like and you're not willing to invest in some administrative support or project management support or coaching support you mentioned what other resources we have 
a virtual assistant. I have a business coach. I have a writing coach. I've had a personal trainer. I'm the sort of person where if I want to do something and I want to do it to the best of my ability, it doesn't occur to me to struggle on my own. I will get a professional to help me. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point because I know that since starting my own business, you know, I started off doing everything myself and now I just get help wherever I can. If, if yeah. I know that someone else can do it better than me, which is a lot of things, including all the social media stuff, including, you know, yeah. editing the podcast and even some writing sometimes, you know, it, it's much more sense to, to outsource it to someone who could do it quicker and better and probably cheaper as well but we're not really in that mindset I don't think no and I think it's you can either look at it like you're spending money that you potentially could have that money yourself or you can look at it as investment so when we work with people I've worked with multiple business coaches a good business coach a good consultant you don't have to work with me forever I will build those systems process I have to step away it's the success of my business and my reputation that I can step away and either you get somebody else to do it or you feel more confident and capable in those systems and processes there. So you can work with people. And I think some people may think, well, how do I stop working with that person? A good consultant in whatever fashion, if you say, actually, I just want help for three months or six months or a few weeks, that person, that's the objective of that person to remove themselves and train you up so you're not reliant on them or you may just have to accept that you need ongoing support and you just have to hire if you're going to hire that is an investment you need to take the time you need to train them you need to be forgiving of mistakes and I would say and I've been through it it does take time and don't look at it as an expense it's an investment to help you grow yeah so there are three real barriers for getting help it's exactly as you said I think first one is the time it takes either to find the person or to train them up and to, you know to actually say what you want to do money I know people worry about that but in my experience in practices we're time poor it's time that we're more poor and rather than the cash and I would gladly pay a bit out to get a bit of time back but the third thing and I think this is the thing that really trips us up is perfectionism because often people don't do things in quite the same way as I would do it. Often they're actually doing it better and I can't see that, but it's a combination of perfectionism and control. We really worry about the loss of control if we're delegating stuff to other people. And yeah, I mean, what would you say to people that have those perfectionist tendencies? I think it's like looking at the bigger picture. We're not all going to do it the same. I think it's trust. Go with the skills and go with your gut instinct and say, I say to my PA, you know, these are my quirky ways. I like doing this and I like doing that. And that's just, you know, that's just me. And you learn to work closely together. And I will say when it comes to financial things, like with new, when new people join the team, you know, I'm nervous about that. At the moment, I do the payroll. I don't need to do it. And when we're working up to what, you know, that's like a key performance indicator, you know, in a few months, I'll hand that over to you. And we're going to be, we're going to be talking, we're going to be building that trust. So I can hand that over to you. So it's just about being honest and saying, I really want some help. I've never had a, I've never worked with a project manager before. I've never worked with an assistant before. Let this, you know, it's baby steps. Let's start with a few hours and then work up. 
and we will work out the system. And then once you've worked out the system, we'll document the system. So if you're sick or somebody else can't do it, there is still a process that we can follow. And if I need to re-recruit, the next time you re-recruit will be so much easier because you'll understand the lessons learned. You'll understand your delegation style and your leadership style. And that person will be able to come in and they'll have their manual. So if a GP buys in any support, even if they're going to be a permanent role, make sure they document what they do and build their employee manual. That will save you time moving forwards. And I guess you could get then, yeah, they can document what they do and they can yeah. write the manual themselves and delegate that and check it no, out and yeah, yeah co-create. Yeah. So a, a lot of people listening to this podcast will be portfolio GPs and locum GPs, not necessarily having to run the business in the practice, but they may well have other roles outside. And I think one thing that we don't often think of ourselves is we are our own business because most of us are self-employed, particularly if we are a locum, and then we have other things that we fit in. What things in those sorts of areas can we delegate in our own personal business, as it were? What sort of things would you be suggesting? In your personal, I think there is a role for administrative support. So you've got meetings to go to. If some of you guys, I, in my personal life, I'm a lot on Instagram and I see lots of um, GFs on Instagram and they're writing books and they've got coaching programs. And I think they're they're promoting your business, promoting your services and marketing support and having that Mm -hmm. social media support is very helpful. It's very time consuming. And I think people underestimate how much time it takes and when it's really good, people underest- you know, underestimate those good graphics and the consistency. So having somebody to help you with that and really craft your message around what you want to do and what service that you are providing is those business skills. Mm. And I am guilty of it myself, you know, like it's selling yourself. If you were portfolio GP and you are selling a business, you're selling a coaching service or any sort of service, you need to be really clear on what you are selling and marketing supports that and having somebody to help you with that. And also I would say I have a business coach. A lot of mindset issues come up when you are either you're yeah, you're self-employed and you've got a portfolio role and you're switching one minute I've got this hat on, next minute mm. I've got that hat on. When should I share this? You've got a lot of information. You have to keep some of it to you, you know, like it's confidential. And that is whirring around in your head all of the time. And having somebody, it's, it's lovely to, you know, you've got your friends and you might have a mastermind group to chat things through. There are some things you might want to talk with a business coach and think, I think a lot of us have got quite big ambitions and you might not want to share them. And I think having a guide to talk through how do you move to the next step? How do I move to the next step? And I came across a saying the other day, with every new level comes a new devil. Oh, ooh, like that. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I need to find out the source. It's not mine, unfortunately. But yeah, every time you step up, there is that you're in a critic or imposter syndrome, those alarm bells start ringing. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think in any sort of leadership position, when you're juggling yourself, other people your families and taking that step out of general practice and going into the world of business it is a business and I think learning you know you've got your tax returns managing your finances setting your rate and not going yeah I did it for free (laughs) and but wanting to do you want to give yes and managing your time and boundary because you're not going you might not be going to the surgery every day you're working at home and what I think lots of people think I will 
go self-employed and I'll have all this time and I'm my own boss and I can do what I like. And then you find yourself still sending emails and, you know, checking blog posts at 11 o'clock at night. So you have to learn your own time management tips and when to, you know, put, put it down, but it is work. And I think it's a balance between what you put in, you will get out, but sometimes you do need to stop and relax and remember I've gone self-employed because I wanted a bit more freedom, fun and flexibility. Yeah, that's such, such good advice, because even if you're not doing anything outside of general practice, you still need to know what your boundaries are. Getting an executive coach, I would say, is really important. I, like you, a business coach, I had coaching when I did my career change. It got me further in three months than I would have got in 18 months, just because it helped me think things through. And actually getting someone to th- help you think through, what do I want my week to look like? You know, yeah. How many clinical sessions do I want to do? Do I need to do anything else in there that's going to add to my life or add to my portfolio or just add to my enjoyment of my work? Because I can maybe do other stuff where I use my different strengths and skills. It's just so important and so helpful. So, you know, being able to know where you're going to put your boundaries in and even what you're going to say yes to. I was speaking to someone who said yes to a load of sessions just because she'd been asked. (laughs) And she felt because someone had asked her, she felt she ought to do it. And yeah, I think all of us are a bit like that. We're flattered to be asked to do something and we don't like saying no, but then we end up, what we're losing out is our time, is our time to be creative or, or just our time off or our time to be with our families. I know you listen to the Amy Porterfield podcast and I think it's episode 296. She talks about boundaries. And so regardless of where you are, you know, if you're a person and you do more than one thing, you'll have some boundaries. It was really helpful. And the takeaways I took away from that podcast is that you can say, say no and still be a nice person. If you don't have any boundaries, you run the risk of living your life by other people's standards all the time. And you're worried about what they think. So we all fall into that people pleasing mode. And I think she gave some advice where she asked us to think about what are your key priorities in your life? And for me, it's health and fitness, family and business. And every time you say yes to an opportunity, is it at what cost? Is it a cost to, for me, my health and fitness, the business, my core objectives of my business and my team? Or my family, am I not going to see my kids? And it's okay to make those sacrifices, but you just want to be really clear on why you're doing them. And I will definitely take that away. And regard, you know, your priorities are personal to you. And sometimes I've got three children. Sometimes I'm not there. Sometimes I'm at work today. And sometimes in the evening, I might go to a meeting and I'm not with my kids and I'm doing that to progress my business. Sometimes it's like, no, I'm protecting this time for my kids I am going to take them to school I'm going to take them to gymnastics because that is my time and I'm not going to sacrifice that and I wake up really early in the morning and I'll do my bike ride or I'll go to the gym because I do that because it's going to set me up for a day I'm more productive I'm happier endorphins have gone I'm just a generally happier person and if I have a contract that means I can't do that I will think very carefully because my health and fitness is more important than than skipping that it would not make me good at my job if I didn't have that in my life so and everyone's got their own their own thing and I just really like that now that I use that framework to guide what I say yes and no to moving forwards wow so so think about what your top three priorities are and then does this fit in with those I think one of the main problems we have in saying no is just doing it in the heat of the moment (laughs) and my top tip for anyone who thinks they need to say no a little bit more is just to use the phrase 
right can I have a think and get back to you yeah. it just gives you the time because then and then, then we know exactly what to send and then send an email or a text saying I'm really sorry I've had a think I'm afraid that won't work for me and sort of saying just saying that won't work for me you don't need to give reams and reams and reams yeah. of explanation the more explanation you give for something the weaker your your no seems to be sometimes yeah and I'd also add to that and say if you do want to do it if you want to change it, if you say, okay, Rachel, I do want to do your podcast, but I can't do it today, but I'd love to do it in a month. Yeah. You can change, you know, if they want, they want you. Yeah. So you can, you can change it to work for you. And then if there's no movement, then that's absolutely fine. At least you've tried. So yeah, it's either kind of wait, let me think about it, or I would like to do it, but could, could we negotiate the terms? A really, really good resource, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, it is a book called Essentialism. I don't yeah, know if you've come across yes, that. I've read it. Oh, I did just... a book review on it, I think. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. I mean, that's just my go-to book. I read it every single year. It's by a chap called Greg McEwen, who is a professor at Stanford, I think. And you know, I think the strap line is, well, in my mind, it's doing fewer things but better, really. And, and it's about how to you know, cut down the amount of stuff we're doing so we can give our highest highest value and I think that's key for enjoyment of life it's in key for running a good business isn't it really to work out what your priorities are so there's loads of great advice and we'll put that in the show notes as well so Tara could you just tell us what your top three tips would be for a GP or really any professional that's juggling maybe more than one thing in terms of you know running thinking of themselves as a business I guess and running that smoothly number one is planning plan out your 12 month goals and if you can't plan out that if that feels too far plan out what you want your next 90 days to look like what do you want to achieve in your next 90 days and write it down display it somewhere I've got mine on my I've got a little photo frame where I've put my 90 day goals I've shared them with the team so I'd write out your 90 day goals I sent an email to my team we had a meeting yesterday it plan your day before you start your day don't yeah. just jump into your day. Don't just jump into the emails. Really think about what do I want to do today? What do I want to do this week? And be really clear. And I would say f- for me, exercise and meditation are key. I am a happier, more productive person when I do those things. It might not be for everybody, but I would say, I would urge everybody to think, when are you at your best and is it when you've done some exercises, when you've done some meditations, when you've done taken the dog for a walk, allow for a bit of fun and don't sacrifice that fun when you start getting busy because the busy, the fun helps you do the busy stuff and don't, yeah, don't, don't forget, you know, like it's, it's your life, it's your business. We get, I believe you get one life and I love my work and I'm super ambitious, but it's not all about work. And I think, yeah, when I, when I exercise, when I meditate, I use a 10% happier app. And when I meditate, when I've exercised, I am, I'm good to go. Yeah. So find the thing that really rejuvenates you, yeah. re-energizes you and make sure you put it in the diary yeah. and you plan out when you're going to, when you're going to do it. I know that exercise for me, if I'm not exercising, I spiral down into the vortex of vortex of busyness. And we can put a link to that as well in the show notes. The vortex of busyness is when you're so busy doing work you're staying up later you're not doing anything that re-energizes you you're starting to think about work in the night and waking up early thinking about it you get tired you get exhausted you feel that there's no joy in life anymore and that's so quickly we can spiral down into that i know you asked me for three but i did think and i have to say this is 
to look for help. There yeah. are people out there that will help you. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, my, the fourth one is, yeah, you know, plan, set up your day, make time for something that really invigorates you, energizes you, and also commit to getting some help when you need it. Even if it's only temporary, that person, that consultant, that support will be able to give you information that you didn't know that will reap rewards for years. Yeah. I just got a lovely, lovely book for Christmas by this amazing artist called Charlie Mackesy. And I can't remember what its name. It's called The Mole, The Horse, The Fox and the boy, something like that. And it's really beautiful illustrations. It's lovely quotes sort of about life. It's sort of a mini parable story thing. And one of the pages, the boy asks the horse or the, or the fox, or he asks someone, uh, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? And the person replies, the bravest thing I've ever done was to ask for help. Yeah. I love that. It's like, oh, that is so important because sometimes I think we can't actually work out ourselves, even who we need to ask help from or for yeah. or what and, and how we go about it so in that point talk I think talking to a colleague or getting a coach and talking that through yeah. is so so important and how we work with people and even if they don't go on to commission our services you know it's just a phone call you know mm. like it's sometimes it can just be just a phone call you don't have to invest in if you haven't the funds to do it people love sharing this stuff and you know read a blog you know part of your planning and part of that thing that energizes you might be saying okay well I'm going to read a blog I'm going to read a a book there's a book called eat my frog it's about productivity it take you (laughs) you know it would take you a day to you know like I'm going to read this for three days you know I don't 45 minutes yeah each day there are things that you can do to get the help I think we do know when we need some help life is just simpler and I think life is more fun why do we why would we want to do it all by ourselves and there are some great great resources out there you know particularly with general practice there's all lots and lots of stuff about workforce development um sorry workflow development yeah you know you've got loads and loads of resources you've got your podcast I know our friends at my local manager have got loads of resources there just to make your life a lot easier when you're trying to sort of schedule and bill and and all that sort of stuff and Ben Gowland at Ockham Healthcare have got loads of really good stuff as well that, that you can just borrow from each other. Yeah. I think this, you know, this idea of just using the, the burger, the burger model, the McDonald's model that other yeah. people already have that's working is so simple. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I write a blog. You want to help people. You, and mm. I just think just read it, just implement just one thing. It's free. Yeah. Absolutely. And podcasts as well, of course. Listen yeah. to loads of podcasts. I think that, that <laughs> yes. I've learned so much from listening to podcasts, but you know, I guess me and you, we would, wouldn't we? So, yeah. we actually do podcasts <laughs> there. Yeah. so Tara, we need to finish up there, but it's been so brilliant to have you on. Will you, will you come back another time and definitely. We'll carry on um, the conversation? Definitely. So if people want to get hold of you, how can they do that? So you can find me on Twitter at THC Primary Care. And I'm also on LinkedIn. If you look for Tara Humphrey, And our website is www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Brilliant. Okay, we'll put all those links in the show notes. So thank you, Tara, and have a really good day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now.